being in full-time ministry for the first part of our marriage and raising our kids, you know, we didn't have a huge income and just raising three children, trying to send them to college, buy them cars, wedding funds. <laughs> Start out in our marriage like a lot of people do, that dream of double income, no kids. And then the drastic change of, of going to ministry, having children. I mean, just a lot of changes moving. We had to trust as we stepped along the way that God would give us in whatever various means he chose to, to provide. And he did. Therefore, he will be faithful in the future for what. And I think the generosity that I feel like I'm being really challenged with right now is any more that I'm given, what am I going to do with that? In the midst of that, Remembering God's faithfulness to us over the years, that God gave us everything. Are we honoring Him with everything uh, that He's given us? And then as we look forward and we want Him to continue to use us, will we honor Him with everything that He's going to give us in the future? Certainly, I just want to have the mentality, and I feel like Grace has this right now, is is we're not going to be done until the Lord comes back. There will be other generations that come after us. fires me up. Well, howdy. My name is Kevin Bear. I'm the college pastor here at our Southwood campus, and I am so excited to be with you here this morning as we continue our Every Knee series. Uh, if you have a Bible, jump to Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to read a little bit uh, for us from there, and then we will jump in. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse uh, 14. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. Says this, for it, that's the kingdom, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid the master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had had and he also who had had two talents came forward. Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, "Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." He who also had received the one talent came forward saying, "Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed." So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reaped where I had not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was mine, my own, with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given. And he who has an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And, cat, 
and he casts the worthless servant to outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I thank you for the, the sobering reality that uh, we have been given talents. We've been given um, abilities, monies, variety of, of talents that you've provided us. And you hold us accountable. You want us to leverage our lives to the things that matter most to you. So Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, you would open up our hearts. That we might be people that leverage our lives in the way that matters most to you, and ultimately, the way that brings you the most glory. So I lift up this morning to you, I lift up this time to you, that you would guide our hearts and our minds toward where you would want us to land. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, I am extremely excited about this season of Grace Bible Church. Um, I came uh, to College Station, Texas in 2005. My wife was coming to veterinary school here, and we landed in this place. And, and to see where grace has come over that time is absolutely incredible. There is no better time to be a part of Grace Bible Church than right now. Because God has laid in front of us a huge vision. A vision to bring the gospel to, to every neighbor and every nation, to bring the gospel further and faster than we ever have before. And in this moment... This is, this is the culminating moment where we're going to say, Lord, if this is where you want us to go, how are we going to leverage our resources? How are we going to leverage our lives to move toward that end? And I love that idea because it's a part of every great story you've ever heard where people with limited resources leverage those resources to create great impact. So there's the story of the movie Rudy. Small football player. Uh, he played for Notre Dame back in the day, but he couldn't make the team. He was a small, insignificant guy, kind of round and not all that athletic. And he studied hard. He wasn't all that smart, but he finally got into Notre Dame. And, and he got onto the team. And the culminating moment of the story, the culminating moment of the movie, Rudy, was finally when he got onto the field. He gets onto the field, and he's, he's there for the last play, the last game of his senior year, and he runs and makes a tackle, a sack on the quarterback, and he's carried off on the arms of all of these players that had seen his contribution, see him leverage his insignificant gifts, and, and celebrated that moment. I love those moments. I love those movies. We do. Not only that moment, but in the movie Lord of the Rings. Right? Fans? There's like three of you that really love it. The rest of you. Get on board, people. Come on. You have, you have uh, this tremendous enemy. And you have the hope that someone will bring this little ring to the place of Mount Doom so that it might throw it in and stop this darkness from coming. And you had all sorts of great heroes in the mix. You had Aragorn, right? That king that just looked impressive, right? You had Legolas with his beautiful long hair. You know, you had all of these people with amazing talents. You're thinking, okay, surely one of those heroes is going to save all of these people. But instead, the ring is given to this little hobbit, right? Little hobbits with not a lot of ambition, right? Like the goal of most hobbits is just to chill, relax in Hobbiton, drink a few beers at the pub, and just relax in their life. But there came a moment when little Frodo's with, with Sam, you know, Sean Aston made two cameo appearances in this sermon. He's sitting there with Sean Aston. He goes, hey, look, someone's got to take this ring because if we don't 
engage in this mission, even though our resources feel small, there's no way we are going to, to be a part of something great. See, God is calling us insignificant people to make a great impact in this world. And the reason we love those stories is because that's our story. See, the story of the gospel is, is of a king who left authority and honor in heaven and came down to earth. He left riches to become poor. And he became poor in a, in a, in a podunk rural town called Nazareth, right? I mean, it was said of Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Jesus is like, ease up, buddy, right? Come on. It's my hometown. And this insignificant man in obscurity rises to prominence and leverages his life for the sake of all of ours. See, the reason we love that story is because that's God's story that he's weaving through history. To take what seems insignificant and conquer insurmountable odds. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in this story, this moment that we're looking at is, is Jesus saying, I want you to be on this mission. I want you to be on this mission of taking the resources that you have and leveraging your life towards something incredible. And I want you to see how to leverage your life. And so he gives him this parable. He says, I want to tell you what it looks like to live your life towards something that matters most. I want you to see your resources as gifts to be utilized for the kingdom. And he tells him a parable. And the first part of the parable he wants us to get is this, that we are rich. Verse 14 says, For it will be like a man going on a journey. He calls his servants and entrusts them with his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. What Jesus wants us first to see is this, that every one of our resources that we have literally make us rich. Well, how much is a talent? Well, it's interesting. If you actually look at the word talent, it's a weight of measurement. It's about 80 pounds, typically of silver. And it's, it's, there's been a lot of debate, like how much money is that? How generous is the master in this story? One commentator writes it this way. The best way to determine the amount of a talent would be to compare it to what it would take a day laborer to make that much money. It would take a day laborer about 20 years to earn one talent. So if you trace that to modern days, it is perhaps about $300,000 for one talent. So to one, he gave five talents, five times $300,000. To another, he gave two talents, that's $600,000. To the, the one that only got one talent, he got $300,000, right? And the point is this, the master gave great gifts. And the point of the parable is not to say that God has given everyone um, a, a ton of money. It's, it's used more broadly than that. One commentator writes that Jesus chose the word talent or to symbolize a variety of capacities for application. And so the first thing we've got to see is this. We are rich because we've been given great resources. We've been given tremendous financial resources. And some of you say, Kevin, I've been given tremendous financial resources. I'm in college students. I'm living on hope and loans. Like there's no tremendous financial resources I've been given. And I'll just tell you this. You, you, you actually have been. There's a study... Um, that uh, an ABC News story recounts, it was uh, tracing the, this investment bank called UBS, and they were asking the question, what does it mean to be wealthy? What, is, what does it mean to be wealthy? It says this in the study, 40% of those with 5 million in investment assets said they did not feel like they were rich. 
Only 28% of investors who had between 1 and 5 million in investments assessed themselves as rich. And this is what they said. To our surprise, our biggest surprise was this, but that many people with 1 million or more did not consider themselves wealthy. Millionaires didn't feel like they were wealthy. Well, Kevin, I'm not a millionaire, maybe. What's wealthy? Well, according to the global rich list, if your annual income exceeds $35,000, you are easily in the top 1% of wage earners worldwide. Who's the top 1%? Anyone who can make $35,000 a year or more is in the top 1% worldwide. In America, we're wealthy. Most of you coming out of college will make that or more in your first job. We are a very blessed nation, but not just financially, spiritually. Ephesians 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have been blessed spiritually by Jesus. And when I say spiritually, many of you go, oh, so it's imaginary presence from Jesus, right? Is that what you're saying? Like spiritual blessings. So we can't see them or really do much with them. They're spiritual blessings, right? And it feels like imaginary gifts from God. But actually, they're so significant, Because if God wanted you to accomplish something that you needed resources on earth to accomplish, he would have only given you those. If God needed you to have a better body to move the gospel forward, he'd have given you a better body, right? If God needed you to have a better bench press to move the gospel forward, he would give you a better bench press. If God needed you to have some other financial gift to move his gospel forward, he would have blessed it for you. But... Because God needed you to have these gifts to move the gospel, to be a part of his mission, he blessed you spiritually. So what are some of those gifts? Versus forgiveness. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you are in right relationship with God. You are fully forgiven. You may be like, is forgiveness that big of a deal? Well, live with people that live under the weight of unforgiveness in their life. It's tragic. You have it in Christ. Not only that, you're redeemed. You're bought with a price. You ever wonder if you're valuable? You ever sit at home alone at night and go, do I have any value? Does God even care about me? He gave his son for you. Jesus leveraged everything for you. You're so loved by God. You're redeemed by Christ. You're adopted. You're part of his family. You're justified. It's just as if you've never sinned. Every mistake you made is immediately covered and you're empowered by the Spirit. God sent his Holy Spirit to live in you so that you might carry out his purposes in the world. He, he is living in you and moving through you. You're gifted spiritually, financially. But beyond that, many of you are gifted socially. I mean, you are so fun. I mean, you're the girl that walks into the room. And you're like, oh, I think so. she's here. Uh, you know, we're, we're all happy now because she's amazing There's some of you guys that just, you have so much social skill. You're like, gentlemen, we're all going this way. And everyone's like, we're all, we're all going that way. Because you said we're all, you know, like you're so gifted socially that people will follow you and you've made an incredible impact by leveraging those gifts. Others of you, not so much. So God gifted you intellectually, right? You're like, I'm not, I don't have any social game, but God made me smart, Right? And so when you read books and you look at word problems and you look at 
stat sheets. You're like, oh, it all makes sense to me. And the rest of us marvel at your ability to leverage your intellectual capacity. You're so gifted intellectually. That's why you're here at A&M. Some of you, it's, you've, you're not socially gifted. You're not intellectually gifted. Because God made you an artist, right? We can do this, people, right? And you create beautiful art, whether it's music or photography or paintings. You have been gifted amazingly artistically. And God says, I've given you so many great gifts. I've given you so much. I've given you so many resources, and I've given you time. I've given you great gifts, and I've given you time. I've given you talents and time. And the question is this, how are you going to leverage what you've been given? How will you use the great gifts God has given you? There's something that Jesus wants you to see about your gifts. You don't own them. You're a steward of them. Verse 19 says this, says it this way. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. See, there comes a point with every one of our gifts that that God is going to look at our lives and say, what did you do with the resources that I gave you? But the perspective you have to have is this. I am a steward. I'm not an owner. In Exodus 19.5, God says it this way. All the earth is mine. Psalm 89.11, God says, the world and all it contains, you have founded them. The psalmist is saying, God owns everything. Deuteronomy 8.18 says it this way. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. 1 Corinthians 4.7 says this, for who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? See, your gifts, your talents, your resources are simply gifts loaned to you by God for this season. You don't own them. You're supposed to leverage them. And that's the key. We don't own our talents. Our, our mentality, our mental picture is I'm a, I'm a steward of my resources. I'm not an owner of my resources. But listen, every business in the secular world, and sports teams realize that this mentality changes the game. The mentality that I'm a a steward of my gifts and talents, I'm not an owner of it, that will change the game. One venture capitalist, a guy named Peter Adams, says this. He says, there's a lot of red flags I look at in investing for startups um, for owners that are pitching to me. He says, here's some cues. If the CEO is an owner... They use the language like my company, my technology, and even complain about giving away equity. He says this of people that view themselves as owners. Owners are like a boat anchor on a company. They slow down progress so the company is out of balance and not likely to succeed. Stewards, on the other hand, are not in it to benefit themselves. They treat the company as the object of their focus, and all their actions are working towards the best outcome for the company even if it's not necessarily the best outcome for the founder. The steward cares about the mission of the company and is interested in doing everything they can do to leverage it and carry out the mission to greater scalability. He says, I'm only going to invest in companies where the person running the ship views it like a steward and not an owner. Not only that, Hobby Lobby. David Green, the founder of Hobby Lobby, wrote a book recently called Giving It All Away. And he has a company worth billions of dollars. 
He's asking himself the question, what do I do with this company that's worth billions of dollars? It's the struggle all of you have in a week-to-week basis. Like, what do I do with all of this billions of stuff? You know, so what do you do? And he, he had so many problems. Like, do I give it to my family? I see problems with that. What do I do with this company? I wanted to carry this mission forward. And then so to figure out the answer, he went to the Bible. He says this, so the answer to answer to my problem was real, real simple. Who owns my company? God. I don't own it. I'm a steward. And so now we have a stewardship trust, and we are stewards of this company. We're not owners. And I, nor any of my family, could never touch one penny of the assets of this company. We can only, we can only be stewards of it. He changed the bylaws of his company so that they would be stewards and not owners. And his kids can work for the company and get a paycheck from the company, but they cannot touch its assets. That's stewardship, not ownership. But not just in business and sports. I read it reading a book called The Captain Class. And they looked across all different athletic teams to see what is the, what is the X factor that makes this team better than all other ones? What is, what is the, the part of this team that makes it exceed, exceedingly better than all other teams? And the, what he saw was there's a captain that makes the difference. And one of the stories he tells is uh, from the life of, the, of Tim Duncan and the San Antonio Spurs. Tim Duncan fans? Okay. All right, well, fair enough. Fair enough. But here's what's phenomenal about Tim Duncan. When he came in onto the scene, he was there about the same time as Michael Jordan. And he could have, he had the talent to score the same number of points as Michael Jordan. He could have scored 29 plus points a game. But he chose instead to spend more of his time pat, making passes and setting picks for his point guards so that they could score more points. The result, he has more wins than any player in NBA history over 19 seasons. But it went well beyond that. Um, he switched positions throughout his career. He moved from center to forward, back to center, depending on what the team needed. He literally switched his position depending on what the team needed, not what he wanted. And then he did something crazy in 2015. The author of the book writes it this way. Off the court, Duncan did something else that was unheard of. He agreed to be paid less than his market value so the team would have more space under the NBA salary cap to sign better players. In 2015, Duncan, Duncan's two-year, $10.4 million deal was shockingly far below what he could have demanded on the open market. But it, was a lot, it allowed the Spurs to acquire power forward LaMarcus Aldridge, who out-earned Duncan by more than four to one. Tim Duncan said, my, my resources, my talent, and my salary are not mine. I'm going to leverage them for the success of the team. I could ask for more, but I'm not. I could demand more, but I'm not. I'm a steward of my gifts. I am not an owner, and I will leverage it so that this team might win. And I tell you what, when you view your life as a steward and your resources as a stewardship, not an ownership, it is a game changer. Companies, sports teams, and I'll tell you what, the kingdom of God benefits tremendously when we say, Lord, all that I have, my mind, my money, my moments, they're all dedicated to you. 
my time, my talents, my treasure, my mind, my moments, my money, everything is leveraged for your purposes. That is a game changer. I'm a steward and not an owner. Because the third piece we've got to see from this parable is this, that we are thirdly responsible. We are responsible for the time given to us. Verse 24 of Matthew 25 says it this way. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. What's interesting is that The master looks at every single one of these people and says, what did you do with the time and the talent that I gave you? The one with five, he doubled it up. The one with two, doubled it up. But there was only one person that missed the purpose of this exercise. There was only one person that completely missed it, and it was the guy with one talent. And why did he miss it? There is one thing that will hold us back from leveraging our life for the kingdom, and it's this, fear. Look at verse 25. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent to the ground. Why did he fear God? Well, two reasons. A misunderstanding of the master. See, he, he launches into this accusatory statement. He says, I knew you, sow, you sowed, you reaped where you did not sow, and that you were a demanding master. But, but look at how the master tra- treated the other servants. He says he gave them tremendous gifts. And each one of them, he says, if you did well with what I gave you, I celebrate. I say, welcome. I'll give you more. Enter into the joy of your master. Every other servant got to enter into joy. It wasn't a burden. It was an exciting moment. Look what I did. I mean, every day I come home and my kids draw little pictures, right? That's what they do. And they draw this little picture. And every time they run in front of me, they go, look what I did. And what do I do as a good dad? I go, well, I could have done better. No, that would be a horrible father. I would have problems, right? What does a good dad do? They celebrate the contribution. Each one of these people said, the master's coming. I know that he's a loving master, not a demanding master. I'm going to bring what I have and celebrate my contribution. I, and each time they came forward, he simply celebrated what he did. He didn't lambast the guy with two for not getting ten. He didn't make fun of the guy with five for not doubling it up even further. He says, I celebrate what you did with what you had. But the person, the only person that he holds negatively is the one who literally does nothing. Because he feared the master because he didn't understand him. And he was afraid to risk. One commentator writes, being a good steward always involves taking some risk. Risk. Albert Schweitzer, commentator, writes, Risk is at the heart of discipleship. By playing it safe, the cautious slave has achieved nothing. And it's his timidity and lack of enterprise which is condemned. Wayne Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky writes, You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Right? If you want to follow God, it means you've got to take some risks. You've got to put yourself out there and say, I'm going to step out in faith, even if it seems difficult. I'll tell you what, this initiative that we're a part of, for some of us, myself included, there's a level of fear. What if we don't hit this goal? 
Are we really ready to expand at that level? There's all sorts of fears that I have in doing this. This past Sunday, we took the college ministry over to A&M Consolidated High School for a Vision Sunday. We're moving the college ministry to A&M Consolidated High School in the fall of 18. And had all sorts of challenges in doing that, all sorts of problems in the whole process. And I had so many people come to me and say, say this helpful, encouraging question. What if it doesn't work? I'm like, I don't know. I'll probably crawl into a hole and die if it doesn't work. And then I had this, um, I, would, I would gently call it a backhanded compliment. Once we pulled the whole thing off, they said, this went a lot better than I thought. And I was like, what do I do with that? And you know, like, you're not as ugly as you look. Oh, okay. What, what, how do, and, and through this whole process, like all this anxiety and all this worry just rose to the top of everything that could go wrong or everything that might mess up or all the reasons why this won't work and all that anxiety got higher and higher and higher. And I was like, I don't know, God, if we should step out in faith because I'm so afraid of what might happen. And Jesus over and over again is saying, do you trust me? I've given you good gifts. Leverage what you have toward my purposes. Give what you have because I'll tell you what, that's where the blessing is. That's where life is found. When you risk your life for the things of God, it doesn't ever come back negative. It will return positively because God's in charge charge of the growth. So each one of these servants, they had a contribution, they had praise, and they had reward if they were willing to risk. I'll tell you what, that, that is the key to the Christian life. We can stay in fear, or we can step out in faith and risk. This advanced commitment night that's coming at the end of this week is about this moment to saying, Lord, am I willing to to take a step of faith. I know it is a risk. I know it may not turn out exactly how everyone wants, but I am willing to be all in because I trust where you're leading, Lord. Are you willing to step in a risk? I'll tell you what, we, some of us have so much fear because we feel like our resources are so limited. But God all the time takes small sacrifices and small people, and makes a great impact. One of my favorite stories is from the life of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was really one of the, the spotlights of the Second Great Awakening. He was an incredible preacher and communicator, but when he first came to faith, he wasn't seen in a positive light. He was a shoe salesman, and a guy named Dan Kimball came up and shared the gospel with D.L. Moody, and he came to faith. And then immediately he went out for church membership, He was denied by the first two churches he tried to join. They're like, "Uh, no, you're awkward. He later wrote a book, and this is what one person wrote of the book that he wrote. Moody was semi-illiterate. I once saw a letter written by Moody that was reproduced in, in one of these books. And any sixth grader could do better. There were no capital letters, and commas and periods were few and far between. He would have been laughed at today when we judge ministry by slickness and delivery style and not by spiritual power. But he wanted to serve the Lord. And he ended up working his way down to Chicago in an area called the Sands. And it was a, it was a rough area of town, a lot of prostitutes and poor kids there. And, and he goes to a bar owner 
and says, hey, I, I want to share the gospel with these people. Can I use your bar on Sunday? And the bar owner was like, sure, like just do what you want. So he gets into the bar, and this is what one person writes of the experience of watching D.L. Moody in that moment. He says, the first meeting I ever saw him at was in this little old shanty that had been abandoned by a saloon keeper. Mr. Moody had gotten the place to hold the meeting that night. I went there a little late, and the first thing I saw was a man standing up with a few tallow candles around him, holding a young African-American boy and trying to read to him the story of the prodigal son. A great many of the words he could not make out and had to skip. Can't read the words, I'm just going to skip it. I thought, the observer thought, if the Lord can ever use such an instrument as that for his honor and glory, it will astonish me. After that meeting was over, Mr. Moody said to me, Reynolds, I've only got one talent. I have no education, but I love the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to do something for him, and I want you to pray for me. Mr. Reynolds says, I have not ceased from that day to pray him for him morning and night to pray for that devoted Christian soldier. And the life of D.L. Moody and the impact that he made is incredible. Why? Because God can do amazing things with a simple, dedicated life. He says, I may not have all the gifts. I may not have all the financial things to move everything forward. But you know what God does all the time? He takes seemingly small, insignificant people like you and me. He puts them in a community. He gives them a ridiculous mission. We want to take the gospel to the ends of the world, every nation, every neighbor. We want to take the gospel further and faster. And he gives it to to people that, that don't have the resources to pull it off. And says, do you trust me? You know what's going to bring glory to God? When all of us together, with all of our limits and all the reasons why we can't, say, Lord, I trust you with what I have. Your kingdom and your glory is worth all that I have, so I'm going to give what I have to you. And it's going to be on you to multiply the effectiveness. Because I can't and you can't, but together with the power of God, I'll be amazed at what he can do. At the end of last, um, last week, when we had the college students over there, um, I gave all of them one of these things. And you're like, a flashlight? Negative. It's actually a container for pills. Um, but it's empty. I told them, I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this little container and put it on your keychain. And I want you to go to anywhere around Bryan College Station. Anywhere where you want to pray for the people walking across the grounds of that area. So it's going to be Simpson Drill Field. It's going to be classes around A&M. It's going to be apartment complexes. Maybe it's schools. And I want you to take a little bit of that dirt and I want you to put it into this little container and put it on your keychain. And I want you to pray for the people walking across that ground. That they might know Jesus, come to a saving relationship with Jesus, and move to make him known. This whole initiative is about that mission. That every knee would bow and that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the praise of his glory and the joy of the servants that simply say, Master, I took what you gave me 
I did the best that I could. And he looks at you and says, come on, enter into the joy of your master. You were faithful with what you had. Come on. I want you to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. But to do it, we've got to move together and say, Lord, it's all yours. I'm rich because of the gifts you've given. I'm a steward. I'm going to do the best that I can. And I'm responsible to take this and use it for you. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you that you love us more than we love ourselves. And that you've given us amazing gifts. And Lord, I know that there's so many of us that are afraid to take a step of faith. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be, to be stewards of our resources that in a way that honors you and moves your mission forward. So Lord, I lift up each person here that you would, you would guide them, you would instruct them, and you would show them how they might use their gifts and talents, their mind, their moments, and their money to serve you. And Lord, as we march our way toward advanced commitment night, that you would move in all of our hearts a, a desire to say, Lord, all that I have is yours. And I am on board with moving your gospel forward faster for your glory and our good. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. You guys have a great morning.